How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Welcome to a very special bonus episode of Black and Gay Back in the Day. I'm Mark Thompson, and I've been your host across the last 10 episodes. It's been an amazing experience making this first season of the podcast. And we've been on an incredible journey connecting people. Brown skin beauty, fair fine future. It's been an honour to delve into our shared history and to facilitate nourishing conversations across a variety of generations and experiences. Deep dark wisdom. At the root of every episode, we have brought to life an archive of images of black queer life in Britain from the 70s through to the early noughties. To celebrate all the work we have achieved throughout our history and on this podcast, we had a panel event at the Standard Hotel in King's Cross, London. We brought together our amazing contributors to have a bigger conversation on what black and gay back in the day means to them. We hope you enjoy this chat as much as we enjoyed having it. Good evening. Hello. You lovely, beautiful, beautiful people. Somebody just said, I've never seen so many. I've seen so many shiny, beautiful black people. And it's Black History Month, so, you know. Welcome to the Standard Hotel. It is so lovely to see all of you here on this Monday evening in October, which has been quite a beautiful October. It's been really lovely. So I'm so glad to hear, to see you all here today. First of all, can I have a round of applause for um, Chantel, who's been on the decks. <laughs> Warming up. Um, now, Chantel will appear in episode six of the little podcast you are all here to celebrate tonight. And she's going to be in that episode alongside the very wonderful Marilyn Clark and Ayeen Bailey. And Ayeen will be on the decks a bit later. So please stick around. There'll be more drink. There'll be more food. And, you know, I like to throw a party. So it's going to be fun. So let's tear this place up. So, <laughs> but in a nice West End bougie hotel way. Because I know how you all can get. So anyway, so first of all, it's really, really good to see so many friends, family, colleagues, allies, supporters, listeners, all here today. I'm so grateful you've come out. It means so much to me. Now, I'm sure that when some of you first saw my post of me sitting in the studio with headphones on, you went, oh, bloody hell. What's he doing now? It must feel like that me and my company, The Love Tank, we put out content as frequently as the Tories change policy, change chancellor, and change leader. But hopefully what I do is quality and quantity. So tonight is really, really special to me. It's a culmination of a lot of work. It's not been an easy journey, but it's been a fun, rewarding journey. So when Jason Okendaya, who 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 I created the original account with, started this. We didn't anticipate going on this incredible journey. But since we started the account in February 2021 to tell the little stories of black queer life in the UK, we have been on a roller coaster ride. And here we are, 
a year and a bit later, with over 12,500 followers. Come on now. Apparently that means something. I'm over 50, so shit. A like's a like. If, if I get a like, that's good. <laughs> but we've been featured in magazines, newspapers. We've been on radio shows. It's gone global. We inspired a TV documentary and now this amazing podcast. But I hope that more than anything, we've sparked people's interest in this rich and wonderful history, that we've connected people from the past, that we've kick-started intergenerational conversations and connections and inspired people to look through those old photos to reflect on our individual and collective histories. And as Femi says in episode two, to young people to start intentionally taking pictures and start archiving your stories for Black and Gay back in the day, 2043. <clears throat> for we have to tell these stories. They are important. As my friend Antoine, Dr. Antoine Rogers often says, we have to put down the evidence of our existence. And this podcast and the Instagram account are all about the evidence of our existence. So please, please, please check out the page, check out the podcast. So I'm not going to chat for too long because we've got a great panel conversation coming up. And you can listen to me on multiple podcasts if you want to hear me talk shit. But I have to say some thank yous. So first of all, thank you, Chantel, for that set, for warming us up. It is so... Listen, fam, if you know me, you know I like my music. And so it's so good and so refreshing to hear new queer voices and DJs on the deck. So thank you for that. I want to thank my little nephew, Jason Okendaya, who's not here today. Jason is out busy, writing, working, tearing shit up, causing trouble, and probably upsetting some white people on Twitter somewhere. But I couldn't have done this without Jason. Um, if any of you know the story about the, pod, the Instagram account, I created it one Sunday morning. I posted, Jason sent me a message and said, Uncle, can I help you with an Instagram account? Because, uh, and before you knew it, we had a load of likes. I want to thank all of our wonderful contributors for all of the wonderful, wonderful conversations that you've taken place, taken part in. The youngsters and the elders, thank you for giving your time. Thank you for digging deep into those memories and those stories and sharing them with each other. I want to thank my Aunt Lel team. To Tash and to Shiv, put your hands up. Now, these two people came to me with an idea and we've made it happen. So thank you for that. Thank you to Abby, our producer, our assistant producer. You've done an amazing job, and we're going to be seeing more from Abby on the panel. I'm a room for the amazing music. I've already had people hit me up and go, where's that music from? So follow Amaroon, check out that work, and Kemi Oliede for the incredible artwork at the back there. We love what you've done of transferring those pictures into illustrations. Beautiful. To the Audio Content Fund for believing in the project and giving us the money to make it. Gadio, who are broadcasting each episode weekly. To UK Black Pride and Bishopsgate Institute for letting us run around your spaces with our microphones. For Content is Queen and the Glasshouse Studios for allowing us to come in, sit down, take up time and chat. To Laurie and all of the team at The Standard, thank you for hosting us tonight and for being fantastic with behind the scenes of making this happen. You really are making this a special place for us, our queer community in London. I can't not say this without making a big shout out to the Love Tank crew. Dale's here tonight and the rest of them are in absence, but you boys are amazing. You helped me do this shit and give me the freedom to do it. And to the listeners, you are the most important people. We need you to listen. And finally, if there's anybody in this room who hasn't downloaded, shared, or liked, why not? I'm taking back your drinks ticket and your chicken pieces. But seriously, if you haven't listened to it, please download the, the podcast, share it, like it, leave a review. It's available on all podcast platforms, wherever you listen to your podcast. But please do that, because it really does make a difference. I was just shown today that if you open your Apple Podcasts, we are on the front page. Come on now. So, we're going to play you a quick clip in a moment. I want you to all raise your glasses in a moment. 
and we're going to sit down with some of our amazing contributors, and Abby's going to ask us a few questions. Then there's music, Eileen's going to be on the decks, and a bit of dancing, a bit of a kiki, and I'll have a drink later. Um, thank you very much for we'll playing us a clip. Welcome to Black and Gay Back in the Day. We're bringing to life the archive of images of black LGBTQ plus life in Britain from the 1970s to the early noughties. I'm Mark Thompson. I'm an activist and health promotion specialist. And I built this archive with the journalist and writer, Jason Ockendale. In each episode, I'll be asking a younger queer person to delve into our Black queer history. By digging into the archive... He's got a really, really nice smile. He's got a really, really friendly face. And I really like his outfit. I love the cut of his jeans. And the fact that his finger, his index finger, is pointed directly down, kind of creating a line of power all the way down to his shoes and his feet, which are together. It makes me think of the magician tarot card. Finding the people. It's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. It's weird because usually when I meet people, I haven't already seen them in Speedos. But in your case, I have already <laughs> seen you in Speedos, but from like 10 years before I was born. You are living proof that you can find this or it finds you. But yeah, that's the true gift, right? At the end of it. And for the lucky ones, it finds us more than once. <laughs> and telling the stories behind the photos. The danger with taking these things for granted is that you don't appreciate the, your achievements and there are people waiting to take those away. And I think many of us need to be more conscious and politically active in order to keep what we have and to move forward. And that's why pictures like this are so important, mm -hmm. isn't it? Yeah. Because they remind us that when we work together, we can actually achieve change, you know. Whoever, wonderful, whichever wonderful person took that picture, I'd like to say thank you because that's why it's so important to have this stuff recorded so and important. available for people to see. Subscribe in your podcast app to be the first to know when we release a new episode. And make sure you follow us on Instagram at Black and Gay back in the day to learn more. Give it up for Black and Gay back in the day. Raise your glasses, please. So I would now like to invite up our panelists. So first of all, we have Abby, who's going to be chairing the panel. Femi, Fope, and Jordan, please come up and join us on the stage. Thank you so much for being here tonight. My name's Abby, Abby McIntosh. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm in episode one, and I'm also an assistant producer on the podcast, and I'm going to be leading the panel today. Um, I'm really excited to have you all here. It's really nice to see you all in person, because I've heard your voices over and over again. Um, so yeah, um, I guess I'll start. So my name is Abby, my pronouns are she, her, um, and I'm in episode one talking to Ted Brown, and it'd be great if you could just go down the panel and talk about who you are, what you do, your pronouns, and what episode you're in. Hi, I'm Femi, and I don't know what episode I'm in. Uh, number two, I'm in episode two. How cool is that? And um, uh, my pronouns are she, her, and I am currently working as, isn't almost all of us, a diversity and inclusion consultant. But, <laughs> but like, I am training Parliament. Oh. All of them. Oh. All of them. Well, you know me, I'm Mark, pronouns, he, him, and I just got up to loads of trouble and shit. <laughs> um, I'm Foppe, pronouns they, them. I'm an educator, writer, facilitator, youth organiser, um, and similarly, I just chat a lot of shit. <laughs> I'm on episode two with Femi. Hi, I'm Jordan. Uh, I'm a musician. I also work in music. Uh, my pronouns are he, him. I'm on episode five, I think, chatting about love with the amazing Dennis. So, yeah. Great. Um, so, Jordan, I'll start with you. Um, I really love your episode. Jordan's episode is about love, specifically black love. 
Um, and it's a really beautiful conversation, and you're both really vulnerable, you and Dennis, who you speak to in the episode. Um, it'd be great to hear what you kind of think, reflecting back on the episode and the chat you had with Dennis. Um, yeah, no, it was, it was completely overwhelming, actually. I think that was the main thing I walked away with. Uh, I was saying to you, Mark, that like, Dennis has this way of speaking right through you that you just have to sit and take it all in. And I was just honored at the end of it. Um, I think I, I went into it trying to find what is a long-standing truth about love. Like, between my age and his age, what, what persists from, like, what, what is undeniable about love. Um, and I walked away with a couple of things. I, I, I think some of the questions I asked him regarding, like, you know, what's a, what's a truth that, you know, you have carried with you? And, like, some of the things that maybe give us more hope for the future. Um, so yeah, no, it, like I got something out of it. I don't know if you got anything from me, but yeah, I enjoyed myself. I had a good time. Um, I really loved how vulnerable you were on the episode as well. You really spoke from the heart, and I think it really reflected in the conversation you were having Thank with you. Dennis. Yeah, I think I think if you're going in to get anything out of it, why? It's like going to therapy. Why not open up? You're wasting your time. I'm wasting his time, everyone's time. If I'm not at least an open book or <laughs> trying to be. Um, but yeah, he was, he was also very, it, like, it, it made me happy for him to say people hadn't asked him these questions in like, I don't want to say how many years, but like, yeah, uh, in a long, long, long time. Uh, <laughs> but no, um, I really, really, really had a great time. And um, I'm all about chats. Ask me anything and I'll tell you. <laughs> Great. And Pope is the other young person on the panel. Um, it'd be great to hear what you thought reflecting on the episode that you did. Um, reflecting the episode, at first thing I was like, oh, I hate my voice. But like, <laughs> it was really lovely to hear back because it was just, just a conversation between two people. Like, I remember when we first started, we had to stop because producers were like, no, this is great. We need to record it because we were just getting along so well. And there were so many points of commonality. And it was really nice, and I think I said this in the episode, just to have conversations with an elder queer person, because in a lot of our communities, we just don't have that that relationship. Like, it's missing, whether it's, like, our own family is homophobic or queerphobic, or, like, elder queer people or, like, racist. And it's, like, where do I fit in? And who is the person who will say to me, like, you're doing all right, kid, just, you know, just do this, do this, and you'll be, you'll be good. And that is, it was such a comfort. I remember I walked out of the studio, like, I walked home, and I was like... I'm happy to be alive right now. Like, it just brought me so much palpable joy to be able to have these, like, conversations, like, high-level political conversations with someone who's lived a life that I am going to live and feel reassured at the end of it and not feel like it's going to lead me to despair. It, I felt like there is hope. So, thank you, Femi. And what's one standout thing from your conversation that you think you'll take with you? Um, <laughs> big question <laughs> so many things but there was like a point at the at the end of the conversation where we were like both talking about the fact we're Nigerian and how so much of our identity isn't just like one or the other and I think so many like black queer people have this that it's not just your blackness or it's just your queerness it's like all these identities mesh into this beautiful cake and it it frames so much of how you see the world and we were saying because of like our Nigerianness. Like, no matter where you go in the world, you will always find a Nigerian. Like, you can go to Antarctica, you can go to... You will find a Nigerian. And that sense of community is so deeply rooted in my ideas of justice, my ideas of, like, love, my ideas of, like, how I look after my, my blood family and my found family. And to hear someone, like, pluck the words that hadn't formed yet in my mind and say them to me... Like, I hadn't made that connection. Like, I care about community. I care about justice because of my identity to you said it. And I was like, oh, yeah, of course. Because <laughs> I'm Nigerian. <laughs> Duh. So it was like that I'm, I've taken with me. And, like, I've rooted that, like, like, as a framework, I teach a lot of the young people I work with. And I was like, what is your lived experience? What are your self-interests? Who are you as a person? And, like, once you figure that out, you can figure out, like, what is the world you want to build? What is the world you want to see? What are the politics you care and you want to imbue to like the rest of your family? And it's it's really like just changed the way I teach. So thank you, Femi. <laughs> thank you, lovely. Um, and also three of you on the panel are Nigerian, by the way. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, wait. <laughs> nice. Niger rule. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say anything Let about that. But... <laughs> um, so Mark, you and I both worked on the production team. Um, obviously everyone knows about the Instagram account, but it'd be great to hear like kind of how the project came about, like where it started. 
Yeah, sure. Um, so I um, had worked with Tash had, on the logbooks. I, I participated in an episode of that, and I'd also done some work with Shiv around prep, um, and Shiv had done some volunteering for us. And so when the account was bubbling and picking it up, Shiv and Tash reached out to me. It was like, this would make a really cool podcast. And I was like, ooh, yeah, maybe it did. Because I'd already done a podcast. And I was like, okay, so what am I going to do next? So we kind of had a brief and we spitballed ideas. And I'd already had an idea, which I pitched somewhere else, which was about young people going on a journey to find out the stories behind the picture. And funny enough, Shiv and Tash both had the same idea. So it was perfect. And then they just kind of went away and scripted and decided these are the young people. So I didn't have to do that, which was a relief because I was like, I don't know any young people <laughs> apart from the ones that I work with. But they came up with this amazing list of young people um, who worked in different fields, were involved in different parts of activism, the arts, creativity. And they said, this is our list. And off they went and started to record. And it's been a year of just joy, creativity, digging deep. I've got to meet some amazing people again and learn some stories. And fun fact, this is the first time that Femi and I have met. So even connect... And I think this is what is so important. Dirk's got his mouth on the jaw. <laughs> Two legends, me. But I think this is what's really important about the podcast and the Instagram account. It has reconnected people along the lines and so that, for me, is the most important thing that's come out of the process as well. And what do you think is... What do you think people will gain from it being a podcast rather than just, like, they go together now, rather than just having an Instagram account? So the great thing about it being a podcast is it gives, gives us an opportunity to delve deeper into the stories. So the picture gives you, you know, a visual reminder. It gives you a prompt to go and maybe dig a little bit deeper into the history. So you may look at, I, I see Roy's there, you may look at Roy Brown's picture and go, oh, what was happening in 1985-86 around Mr. Black Gay UK? You may look at Dennis's picture and go, oh, who's Essex Hemphill? So I think that that prompted people. What the podcast allows us to do is over 30, 40 minutes is to really delve not just into the individual stories, but the social, historical context within which these pictures took place. And Femi, you obviously were around when a lot of the photos were taken. Um, what do you think has been great about going back into that time and thinking about what was going on then and, like, retelling it? Well, for me personally, what's been great is the sense that it was worth it. Um, when I say it was worth it, it wasn't just about being out um, and dealing with all the repercussions of that. It was also about dealing with being called like a camera queen and a soundbite queen and various other things because I had this huge sense of responsibility of that if, I, if someone doesn't you know, put their face in front of the camera, and I could, not everybody could, but I was here and I was alone and I wasn't you know, responsible to anybody, and so I could just be the one who went, yeah, we're here. So, yeah, the biggest takeaway for me when I look at those pictures is, yeah, it paid off. And when I met you, Foppe, when I met you, I thought, oh, it's so, so paid off. <laughs> look, look, at, look at what we did, those us oldies, um, because I think I felt there wasn't anyone there to open the door for me. Um, I first had to find the fucking door. Uh, and then I had to batter at the door in order to be able to come out. And I was so determined that other people shouldn't feel that. So that's the biggest thing, yeah. Um, and I actually have another question for you. So um, my conversation was with Ted Brown. Um, and I actually haven't had that much chance to meet other black people, especially people who are a lot older. Um, and your conversation was really great because you're both in exactly the same space. And it was nice to hear you kind of talking back and forth about the different struggles you have and you were like kind of enlightening about influences and stuff like that um so what do you think you can learn from like having intergenerational conversations i mean for me i learn about how um understanding how people are facing it feels like we did work and it should be cool now when i think about you know it's nice now to have spaces it's easy to find them but for me it when i speak across generations it gives me insight into the new ways in which we have to force doors open, the new ways in which we have to find ways of communicating. And uh, it helps me do what I want to do better for people who are still 
coming up. Otherwise, it's very easy to get caught up in, this is my experience, I know how these things work. And unless we continue these conversations, I hope it isn't just that one conversation that we had, unless we continue them, I'm going to just end up out of date. And it's going to be worse than not just being able to use my phone properly. It's actually going to be <laughs> about not being able to connect with the different generations. And I think that's vitally important. And Jordan, what about you, speaking to Dennis? Like, why do you think that conversation was so important to you? Um, sorry. Um, for me, I think I I grew up in Ireland. A lot of my formative uh, experiences are in Ireland, and I wouldn't trade anything. But there weren't old queer people. They weren't even like young queer people of color. Um, so for me, and I, I met you um, in Hampstead Heath, <laughs> Ted, uh, and you said something that was so piercing to me. You said, do not let your queerness dissociate you from, your, like, from where you came from. Um, I never had that. Like, I never had any visual of like, people of color. I had to go find it in different things. As I said on podcast, I had to go watch Desperate Housewives to see queer couples. Um, it was great. <laughs> A wonderful show. Um, so it was really important to just see even the picture with Dennis and uh, Essex. It was taken by uh, a Yoruba guy. And I was like, oh my God, a Nigerian gay person who was here way before me and like left something that would live for so long to hit me when it needed to. Um, and that was why it was important. Um, I never saw black love growing up, growing up until I came here in like 2016 on like a trip and you know, got chatting to other black people. So yeah, it just it, it painted a picture that there was a lot that happened before you and there was a lot that was set for you to make the journey easier. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of my level of importance I, I like ascertained to it. And um, Pepe, you mentioned in your, in your chat with Mark at the end of episode two that it really made you think about like, the kind of stuff that you're archiving now. Um, and could you add some comment into what like, you think archiving is or what you should be archiving now? I mean, I think archiving in itself is a radical act, just like, because often like, you know, the history books are written by the winners. So who remembers our stories? Who remembers our jokes? Who remembers what we wore, the bad decisions we made? And if, you know, our elders didn't have the, like the archive, we wouldn't know, right? That we were here and we slayed. <laughs> so it's, we slayed hard. Did. We did. And I think that's so important, not just, I think, in terms of like remembering who we are and like we have a long history for the people who try to be like, oh no, blah, blah, blah. This is like bullshit. And I'm like, no, we've always been here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's also just deeply to, to remember there hasn't always been pain. Like it hasn't always been trauma. It hasn't always been struggle. Like so much of like Black History Month is just about remembering like, slavery and I remember there's a really good quote of like if like all of black history was in a book slavery wouldn't even be a chapter it would be a footnote and I always think about that it's like we have so much joy we have so much history we have so much living that we have done and we will continue to do so and so now it's like like I said this at the end of our chat I'm every single time I do something take a photo of me <laughs> record me <laughs> and it's so important that I tell all the young people I work with is like in 20 years you want to remember these moments right and wherever we do black and gay back in the day in 2063 you want to be like hey back then we did this and it's so important because often I think we lose sight of where we have come from and if we don't remember where we've come from we often lose the way of where we're going um, and so this archiving to me is a map it's a map forwards a map backwards time isn't linear it's all blah 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 so it's deeply important. Someone filming. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is like another podcast episode. You can watch it anywhere you find podcasts. Um, but yeah. Um, so you mentioned like it's important because it's like time isn't linear. Um, how do you think archiving would have been, having access to this kind of archive would have been helpful for you coming out? I know it would have been amazing for me to know that I wasn't the only black lesbian in London, which is crazy for me to think now, but I really thought that <laughs> years ago. <laughs> Um, I think it's important because often, like, politically, we think, like, progress is linear. Like, we make strides. Mm. We continue making strides. But um, progress is actually cyclical. We, it ebb and flows, like, the waves of, like, the ocean. And I think it's quite useful, I think, for a lot of young people who, like, deliberately haven't been educated about, like, not just our history, but our political history. We often get, like, stuck in this mode of, like, trying to reinvent the wheel. 
right? Rather than like standing firm of like, no, we have won this conversation. And X, Y, and Z did it 20 years ago by doing this. And often we don't have like the words or the language to articulate ourselves or the evidence because it's lost in the ether. So I think having like the archive is like, I'm not going to even like, like there's the, there's the quote that like racism is a distraction, right? Like I'm not even gonna let you distract me and get myself into this conversation where like you are a bad faith actor trying to like just piss me off. I don't need to because my elders have already done this for me. I've got real work to do, right? And I think like archiving is, the, it's, it's a big like fuck you, but it's also like a deep remembrance of like the work has been done. We have so much more to do. Let's not get bogged down into like a cultural war of whether or not like black people are more homophobic than white people. Like we don't need to do that. Like it's nuanced. Let's move on to something deeply important. But like, you know, saving trans people at the moment. And I think the archive is so useful. Like it's useful to remind me, yeah, I'm not the only black, like, black queer person, but I think like it's a hugely important political tool. Um, and it's a gift. Oh, yeah. yeah. Archiving is a gift across the generations. Um, and when people commit their stories, they're offering people a route, like their own. You talk about it as it being a map. It's not just a map that you study. It's actually an opportunity to be to, to continue the journey that other people have started. Yeah. And it's the biggest gift that I could possibly think of of giving to people. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Um, and Jordan, obviously, you grew up black and queer in Ireland. What kind of things do you hope that you're, like, what you're doing and the work you're making is leaving for other young kids in Ireland? Um, so for, for the longest time, I just, like, for the longest, longest, longest time, all I wanted to do was just blend in with everybody else. Um, I think I... <laughs> and, like, my mom's jeans were like, no, absolutely not. You'll be six, seven. Um, <laughs> And I, I truly, truly detested it, hated everything about it. I remember being nine, arriving, going to primary school and instantly telling my mom on the walk to the principal's office that I wanted to change my name from like my Igbo name, Echazona, to Jordan. And she was like, are you sure? And I only think how crazy it is now for a nine-year-old to look at their mother trembling in fear, being like, I want to fit in so much. So like, I, 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 like it's hard and I'm not there yet, but... Um, who is it? E. Cummins says, um, "Be say who you are as loudly as possible for someone who's not yet born or someone who is lost. Um, and that's kind of where I'm trying to be now. I, I, I found a way to do it through music and I'm trying to you know, take my time to say what I have to say, where, whether it's about love. A lot of my projects were about love because I knew love and I was like, this is great. I can say it to somebody else who didn't find it um, as early or whatever time. Um, and I hope, I hope that people growing up, like the queer people who see me now know that like, you won't always be alone. Um, you won't always be weird. You won't always be different. People, people won't always make the wrong assumptions of you. Um, because maybe I will help in a tiny way to like sway people's minds in the right direction. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of my so jig. <laughs> I love that. Um, Mark, I think it's really clear how important it is to have these intergenerational conversations. Um, and I'd be interested to know like, what you think is next for Black and Gay back in the day and how we can kind of keep these conversations going. Season two hey. would be nice. So, uh, and more pictures, so submit, submit, submit. I mean, before I go on to what's next, I also just want to kind of just really reflect on what a few of our contributors have said here, which is about, again, when, when, when somebody, when I set out, to create a piece of work, it's usually for one reason. You know, it's like, oh, I want to put some pictures out because that's really cool. Or <clears throat> I want to do a prep campaign because it's going to get more people to... Oh, shit. <laughs> excited. Excuse um, me, Queen? Looking at that glass, you know. <laughs> more people taking prep or whatever it is. But the feedback response, the engagement with this has been outstanding. And it's when people say things like, it's radical, it's political... I thought I was just putting pictures out there, but when somebody says, it makes me realize I wasn't the only black queer person, it makes me understand that I'm not alone in the world. And I think for some of us older activists, and I look out a room and I see some of my wonderful comrades from over the years, what we did, this is what we fought for, and this has been worth it. And we struggled, but this is the price but with the fight continues. But what's next for black and gay back in the day? I need more pictures, I need more submissions. We wanna keep it going. 
We want more people to tell their stories. We want you to archive and be prepared for the next lot of work that we do. Yeah. Um, so I think for me, it's maybe really working on this podcast and being a part of it. It's made me really think about like the kind of impact that I'm having, whether I know it or not. Because what I really love about the podcast is that this isn't people that you might necessarily read in your average history book during Black History Month. Um, and I think it's really important that we all realise that whether we know it or not, we are making a difference in someone's life. Um, so it'd be good to hear like kind of what you think, what you would like to see more of, like what kind of things you want people to keep, what kind of, what basically do you want people to archive in the future? I mean, if we lived in a day where people were still getting club flyers when you went out, you know, you used to go out, if you're old enough, they'd hand you club flyers. I mean, keep those. And if you have those, please send them to me because I want to do some work around clubbing because we found our life on the dance floor. So let's, re you know, let's remember those spaces because they don't exist anymore. Take your pictures, like Fope said, you know, curate that. If you're older, dig into those pictures, dig into those stories. But you know what, connect with people. Younger people, reach out to your older queers. We're, we're out there, learn those stories. Many of us live in isolation. We don't connect with the world anymore. Reach out, find a way, you know, support your elders and engage with your elders. That's great. Um, I'm conscious of time. So does anyone have any questions that they want to go for it? I know there ain't shy people in this room. You're lying. Somebody's coming with a microphone. Thanks. Only because no one was asking. So, yes, young people take lots of pictures. How, like, how do you know which one is the one? We didn't have that problem, did we? So when you, you, you look at those back in the day, you know, they, 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 it was easy to find the photo because there weren't very many of them. <laughs> how do young people, because I mean, I, I'm not young, but I've got like thousands of photos on my, on my phone. Like, which, which one is the one you take? And how important is the photo still? And in, in, as you say, Mark, to sort of prompt us to remember when there's so many photos being taken now. I think as, as uh, Femi, said, Femi said in episode two, take those pictures, but I want to kind of add to that. Be intentional about the pictures that you are taking. You will know what the right ones are for you to archive and you to keep. We all look back through the thousands of pictures that are in our phone and we go, that's the one I'm going to keep. I'm going to delete the other 20. And when you're setting out to take the picture or to record the archive or whatever it is, don't think about it as being an archive, right? Sometimes just take it. And when you look back, you're like, oh shit, that was a moment. Now, sometimes I look back at pictures of me and my friends, which are just completely random. And I'm like, oh my God, that was a moment. That was a memory. That was the most important thing. You'll know when you see it. Any other questions? Uncle Ted. <laughs> Ooh, Uncle Ted, please. The father of the movement. <laughs> I, I wonder whether you think it would be valuable to try and reach back to the older generation pre-1969, pre-Stonewall, because I remember a few years ago seeing a photograph of some black, lesbian and gay parties in Harlem in 1943 and thinking, what were these people doing? What were they going through? How did they stand up for themselves? Because I have no idea. If, if we lose that, that memory, we've lost something that's incredibly valuable about people who were standing up in a situation where they had almost no support. So I wonder whether, are you, are you thinking in any way of reaching back into the past? Thank you, Ted. Um, you're absolutely right. And we always want to keep digging back and getting more pictures. We have, we have a couple of issues with that, and I think they're twofold. And as somebody pointed out to me when we started to collate pictures for the Instagram page, a lot of us were not taking pictures. We were not thinking about taking pictures or archiving or anything like that. So a lot of that material has been destroyed, has gone missing. That's why it's really important that you keep and you collect stuff there. The second thing is that sadly, many people who even submitted pictures to me recently from the 80s and 90s didn't want to be out. 
are still not out. Or they're out, to, you know, I'm out to my friends at the club, but I don't want to be on Insta. I don't want to be on social media. So one has to respect that. So we have to understand that that's also. However, there are still different ways for us to tell those stories which aren't simply through the visual medium of a photograph. So if there are people from that generation, then yes, get them. Let's get them recorded. Let's film them. Let's put them on podcasts and tell those stories. And if there are pictures, send them through to me. Any other questions? Coming, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. Hi, hi, Uncle. Um, I, I guess my question is, so outside of the amazing podcast that you guys have created, what are like other resources you'd recommend for young queer people to to learn more about our history, specifically like black, queer, British histories? Because there aren't that many from what I've seen. Old lady talking. Um, <laughs> I, I think there are, um, there are organisations, um, there are support networks. I think they're still really useful. It was one of the things that I was really into at the beginning. Um, and when Ted talked about older people, I remember when we started the, the Black Lesbian Group, we we had to go for older people who'd been isolated. So I think if we, if we access some of the newer alternative social groups, that that's a kind of... It's, it's warmer than just the podcast because you actually get to meet people. I'm thinking of um, queer people of colour. We've got a representative from QPOC over here. Give them a little wave. Um, and I think those are the sorts of things that people should be trying to do. I mean, I think this is part of the... The answer is part of the problem, is that there isn't a lot. There's not a lot that's written down. And now is the time to start asking. Jason Okendea, who created this with me, is writing a book, Revolutionary Acts, which will be out sometime next year, which is a story of black queer men in South London. So there's that. Um, I would also suggest, obviously, that, that outside of the podcast, but speak to people. I think that's, that's the most important thing. And a quick plug, I'm an ambassador for Opening Doors London, which is a charity that works with over 50 queer communities. Volunteer, become an ambassador, sorry, become a volunteer and have one-to-one -one conversations. And that's, all, that's where you'll learn. But get book deals, go out, find people, tell publishers, create content. The world is ours. Let's take it. Oh, there you go. All sorts. Um, it's not so much a question as to inform people of the film Under Your Nose that Veronica McKenzie has made and is being screened tomorrow at Soho House in Brixton. Um, it may well be sold out, but... I'm sure if there's standing room, I don't know. Um, but, you know, the film documents the history of the Black Lesbian and Gay Centre project and its founding. And, you know, um, it was a time when we were, <laughs> we were struggling to make a presence and we certainly made our presence felt. Thank you. Um, just check out There's Always a Black Issue Dear um, is another short film that you can watch. Topher Campbell's film, uh, Great Moments in Black History, which is on Channel 5 as well. Two great documentaries for you to certainly watch and check out as well. Yeah. One more question. Tash? Hiya. Um, is there one photo that encapsulates your queerness that you would want to be seen in like 50 or 100 years? <laughs> That's a big question. Very big question. Is there one? We uh, <laughs> I mean, there's, there's one photo that comes to mind for me. It's my 21st birthday. And I, does anyone know Pussy Palace here? Yeah. <laughs> I've been to Pussy Palace since the verse of a night. Nadine, one of my girls. And there's a obviously at Pussy Palace there's a catwalk and when it was a much smaller event I used to feel very comfortable doing a catwalk and there's a photo of me in my like my birthday dress a gold dress my birthday tiara I'm very drunk and I'm like 
I don't know, I think I'm like mid-walk and I like, I'm like sitting down and I'm doing that. And it's a sensational photo. And you see like everyone's face like mid-gasp. And it's a fantastic <laughs> photo. Can never do it again. But I hold that like, if one thing you gonna remember me, remember that photo. Because I look good. Put it in the archive. I will. <laughs> I don't know. I I'm, I think my greatest moments are yet to come. So uh, watch. <laughs> I, I also things change meaning over time. So maybe in retrospect, I'll look at this picture and be like, this is my greatest black queer moment. Um, it, it is up to date. I mean, like it is the proudest I've been to be around people who look like me and also queer. Um, but yeah, I, I'd say it's on its way. It's I, like it, it work, walks hand in hand with my journey and with comfort around like how queer I am in front of my family, like my family's friends. So I think once I conquer that hero's journey, I'll get there eventually. But um, I'm happy knowing that there's a route and that's what this is great for. It's great for knowing that there's a pathway, you're going somewhere. Um, because a lot of us just aimlessly move around and we find information, we just happen upon it. But like, it's great to just see people who look like us and tell us, that like, you know, further down, not even that far along, you will reach greatness and like people will lift you up because we just had to do that ourselves. So I think it's on its way. <laughs> it's on its way. I think I know mine. Um, I don't know if I'd share it anytime soon. <laughs> you have to now. Um, it's, it's not that bad, but it was after my first Black Pride in 2016. Um, I may have been under the influence. Um, and it's a selfie I took. I'm crying a little bit. And there's a Jamaican flag and a pride flag in the background of the photo. Um, and for me, those are just two things that I could never see in the same place. I could never imagine that. So I think for me, that is like a picture that really was like the one time that I, could, I like remember being like, I am whole, like I'm fine, like I can be both. And I think that will always be like the start of me like embracing both of me, I guess. So, yeah. Mine's a bit like that. Um, there's a photograph of me at a, a family wedding. Um, and it's me and my partner. And if you're Nigerian or you know Nigerian people, you'll know what's going on here. So we're getting dressed for the wedding. And we've got the matching lace. You know how everybody has to wear the same lace if they're from the same family. So there's me and my little white partner. And we've got the same lace on. You have to make it in any outfit at all. Um, so we've both got trousers instead of the Bubani row that yeah. the women will be wearing. And then you take £10 and you go to the woman who is going to tie your gele. Your gele is your, your headdress. And um, I remember taking Claire, not a name checker, to the, to the gele woman who looked at her and went, <laughs> Really? But said, OK, yeah, don't worry. Do <laughs> so she tied her, this little gele, put a big flower on the side of poor Claire's head. And the picture is of the two of us in this matching lace, at the same lace that all the rest of my family are wearing. She was there. It, it was them saying she's part of the family, that she was able to wear that lace. And it was honestly a, a, a symbol of her love for me that she wore that thing with the flower on the side of her head and allow herself to be photographed with me in it. So I'd just like to say thank you to her and my family for letting that happen. Um, so I've got lots and lots of pictures of me with, in groups of black gay men. So, <laughs> yeah, I know, uh, surprise. Um, but there's one in particular that immediately springs to mind and it's taken in the summer of 1992. Uh, a dear friend of ours called Robert Mirage, who's not here tonight. And it's me, Robert, Dennis, Carney, Clarence Allen, I wanna say Hayden Kernan's in there and Trevor Clark. And we were all working at, was then Let's Rap, which was a weekly, fortnightly group for black gay men to kind of build community, connect, but also to teach about the HIV epidemic and prevention. And that picture means a lot to me because I was a, a baby gay twink. These men had taken me in their arms and had put me on the career path that I was, and the journey that I went on. So they are to blame for me being here today. So that would be my picture because that demonstrates Mark Thompson's journey. Um, 
Thank you so much for having a chat with me and being so open and honest. Um, I hope you all have subscribed and have listened to episode one and two. Um, and you've got some really good conversations coming. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, Derg has reminded me to let you know that we are in The Guardian this week, The Observer this week, The Financial Times, and... Um, yeah, everywhere else. I'm um, hoping also, to... I wrote a piece in the Metro, read it. Oh, the Metro, the Abbey wrote. Woo! Great piece in the Metro. Check it out. And stick around. Ayeen's going to be spinning some tunes in a moment. So thank you very much. I've been your host, Mark Thompson, and the voices you heard in this episode were Abby McIntosh, Femi Otitoju, Fope Ajanuku, and Jordan, aka the musician, Zona. A big thank you to the Standard Hotel and their team for hosting this event and helping us record the conversation. You can find the pictures discussed in today's episode and all the images talked about throughout this podcast on Instagram at Black and Gay Back in the Day. Drop us a message if you have something you want to submit to the archive. A link will be in the show notes. We hope to be back with a second season next year. So if you are interested in helping support that project, do get in touch with us via auntnell.com. Black and Gay Back in the Day is an Aunt Nell production based on the archive created by myself and Jason Okendeo. It is produced by Shivani Dave and Tash Walker and the assistant producer is Abby McIntosh. Mixing was by Adam Smith and the music was composed and performed by Amaru. Artwork was by Kemi Oliyede. The executive producers were myself, and the Art Nell team. Thanks to Content is Queen, The Glass House, The Audio Content Fund, Radio, The Bishopsgate Institute, and all of our contributors. A special thank you to all of those past and present who fought for Black queer liberation. you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with juvederm volure xc for important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.